The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. In the hours leading up to the unfortunate news of President Trump's positive COVID-19 test, the country's media has been consumed by the president's refusal to condemn white supremacy at last Tuesday night's debate. I think we're all relatively familiar with the term white supremacy, and it makes very little sense, does it not, in a multiracial America in 2020. But you know what? Up until that moment, I had never heard of the Proud Boys. Now, that may say something about uh, my selection of Twitter followers, but, you know, I had never heard of the Proud Boys. Now, I know about Antifa. I know about the American Nazi Party. I know a lot about the Boogaloo Boys. I know about Hell's Angel. And yes, I know about the Ku Klux Klan, and it's hard to say that. But you know what? I'd never heard of the Proud Boys. So, of course, I had to go look it up. Thank you, Google, one more time. What I learned is that the Proud Boys have only existed since 2016. And you can identify them in a crowd by their very specific black and yellow polo shirts. And you know what? They are neither white nationalists nor white supremacists. It turns out that they are the mirror image of, drumroll please, yeah, they're the mirror image of Antifa. They just have a more hierarchical structure. They have chapters instead of loose links on the internet, as though the existence of a hierarchy and organization are not the antithesis of what both the Proud Boys and Antifa stand for. They are anarchists, plain and simple. We've had anarchists around by whatever name since the beginning of the 20th century, and that's what they are. So adherents of both or either the Proud Boys, or Antifa, and you can throw in the Boogaloo Boys if you'd like, are advocates for the violent overthrow of the U.S. government. They seem to support the law of the gun. And if you remember of Antifa, also the bully club and the baseball bat. Now, whatever the weapon, they think that's going to be the road that will give them power not law and order. Turns out that while the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys, who are identified by their Hawaiian shirts, now if you can figure that one out, you know, let me know. But it turns out that both the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys reject white supremacy and have non-white members. But that doesn't keep them from, at some point, making common cause with white supremacists and white nationalists when they think it's going to advance their mutual interests. And Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017 was such a moment, but it turns out that for the Proud Boys, that was the last moment of common cause. Proud Boy founder Gavin McGinnis of Vice Magazine fame didn't like the white supremacist overtones of the Charlottesville events. 
but the differences between all these hate groups are less important than their similarities. They advocate the overthrow of the US government. They all specifically target law enforcement. They garner attention through physical fear and intimidation, through violence. Ruby Ridge, Waco, Oklahoma City, Orlando, Charlottesville, Pittsburgh, San Diego, San Antonio, Broward County, Florida, Kenosha are just a few examples of violence perpetrated by one or more of these groups since 1993, so in the last 30 years. And that's just the list off the top of my head. All of these groups share an anti-democratic with a small d, small d democratic philosophy. Not surprisingly, they are male-only organizations and they are misogynistic to the point of advocating abuse. While many of the examples you will find floating in your Twitter feed, the since Tuesday night's debatable debate, the call to stand by, are many of the people that you've seen are rednecks and they're spouting populist rhetoric that they've picked up on the internet and probably really don't understand. However, their leaders, people like Gavin McGinnis, Richard Spencer, Stephen Miller in the White House, and several others, are remarkably well-educated, and they're internationally networked, because you see these white supremacist, white nationalist organizations, it's not a USA phenomenon. They advocate for either white supremacy or white nationalism, not really for both. And by the way, I want you to think about this for a second. Have you ever seen a non-white Antifa, Antifa standing for anti-fascist member? I haven't. And that brings us to the definition of what white supremacy is versus what white nationalism is. White supremacists believe that white is the superior race and that it should, by right of birth and conquest, control land, people, wealth, and government. That belief system is actually incorporated into the original United States Constitution. That Constitution allowed slavery. It considered a slave to be only three-fifths of a person. It granted citizenship in this country only to white males. And it is the basis White supremacy is the basis of the concept of manifest destiny that was the dominant political philosophy of this country um, right up to the completion of the union. A philosophy that said that this white supremacist constitutionally governed United States of America was destined to rule the continent. And that mean that meant that they had to dispose of both the Native American populations and Mexicans who happened to be on what they considered uh, their territory, and they had to dispose of them by dint of war. That philosophy only began to give way during the second half of the 19th century after half a million American men had perished in a civil war 
and it gave way with the passage of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution. The erosion of white supremacy continued with the 19th Amendment ratified in 1920, giving women the right to vote. Remember, those white supremacists of the, of the 18th century thought women were chattel property. Congress did not grant United States citizenship to Native Americans living on a reservation until 1921. Each step toward a more perfect union that was espoused, if not lived, by the founding fathers. Each a step, <clears throat> each a, each a step toward the more perfect union espoused, if not enacted, by the founding fathers. Since the end of the Reconstruction era in federal military occupation of the former states of the Confederacy following the Civil War, there have been people in those states, and yes, beyond those states, that still believe in the right of white people to control land, people, wealth, and government. They quietly self-identify, and they identify each other, not through a handshake, but through their support for the dog whistle politically, law and order. The Ku Klux Klan is an organized manifestation of this philosophy and of white supremacy. Thus, the origin of Chris Wallace's question to Donald Trump, the self-proclaimed law and order candidate, will you condemn, asked Chris Wallace, white supremacy. Law and order, a campaign promise of Donald Trump, was first popularized in contemporary American politics by former Alabama governor and strict segregationist George Wallace. During his four separate runs for the presidency of the United States during the turbulent civil rights movement of the 1960s and the 1970s. White nationalists, on the other hand, advocate for a nation for white people only. They do want to govern, but they only want to govern white people, white Christian people, if you want to be totally specific. They espouse the removal or extermination of all non-white people from their imagined nation. The American Nazi Party is an example of such a radical fringe organization, but it does have loose connections to similar fellow traveling organizations in Western and Central Europe. Those organizations oppose law and order as an impediment to their pursuit of power. And now that we have all the terms defined, we can agree that the concepts are both anti-small d democratic and frightening. And we can also agree that they do not represent the mainstream of a pluralistic 21st century America, as demonstrated by the peaceful protests around the country this summer. We've evolved as a nation. Last, we can all agree that these organizations do represent a danger to our small d democracy, but they have constitutional protections 
of speech, assembly, and armament. They are not a well-ordered militia or militias, but rather criminal gangs under state and federal law subject to properly predicated law enforcement actions of arrest and conviction for crimes against the people of the United States. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.